Um, all right. Well, let's dive in for tonight. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, a recap from last week, just to kind of like remind everybody what we talked about. Um, so last week we talked a lot about the gift of prophecy and how it relates to you personally. Tonight we're talking all about how it relates to us as a corporate body of believers. Um, I'm really excited to kind of explore the differences there with us. But remember we talked last week about some of the different ways that um, you know how to hear, that you hear the voice of God, like through discernment, through what you feel, through what you hear, your thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Um, hey, Grant, will you grab me the tape really quick? Sorry. My jacket is so slick, it keeps pulling the cord off my face. That's going to be a long night if that keeps going. Um, so we talked about the different ways that we hear God's voice. We talked about some of the obstacles to hearing God's voice, like our fear, our woundings, our experiences, our theology, all that kind of stuff. And um, I'll tell you, that was the one for me that I was thinking about a lot this week of just how many times the filter has robbed me <laughs> of hearing the real voice of God, you know? Um, and then we talked about, you know, how Jesus gives us the anointing to be a prophet and then the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of prophecy and some of the differences in that. So tonight, like I said, I want to talk about just what the gift of prophecy in particular looks like and how we use it as people in today's world. Um, and so we're going to be looking a little bit at some scripture in a little while as well. But I wanted to say up front, and I'm going to say this again multiple times tonight, but our culture really matters to the Lord, right? Like the Bible tells us that um, Jesus is going to come back after all the world has had a chance to hear the gospel, Matthew 24, 14. And so um, what he's look, I, I think when the Bible talks about every tribe and tongue, I honestly think the Lord really cares about our culture. Like he likes the nuances that culture has. And the gospel has application to the bush in Africa, the slums in India, the, you know, impoverished people in Haiti, the super ultra rich in Bel Air and California, you know, and everything in between the gospel has implication. So the culture really matters in the way that the gifts of the spirit are expressed. So when we get a little bit further into the night, when we look at first Corinthians, I want us to be really mindful that when we're reading the gospels, when we're reading the um, new Testament, when we're reading the book of Acts, all these different books, we're actually looking at how the Holy spirit is on display in the midst of their culture right? So when I think about America, I'm like, okay, so in our American culture, what does it look like for the prophetic to be something that we're all embracing and using, which is what Paul encourages us to do? I had this super weird experience with a prophet several years ago I thought I would share as we get started tonight. And we had a friend who had a friend who's who was a traveling itinerant minister, meaning she you know, traveled all over the world preaching and she was a prophet. Um, and so <laughs> she was in town visiting the friend and the friend said, hey, I would love for you guys to meet her. I'd love for, you to, like, for her to get to pray for you. And we're like, well, yeah, of course, Grant's always like, more prophetic words, you know, like we're down. And I was kind of like, okay. So we went to dinner with her and then the next night she came to a prayer night we were having. And at the end of the night, she's, she came up and she was a, uh, probably 25 years older than us, you know, maybe 30. So she was like, she was a senior to me and I felt respectful of her in that way, but I didn't know her at all. And she said, um, I want to prophesy over you guys. And I'm like, okay, so the prayer night had ended, right? And everybody's just mingling as you do. And so like from here to here, two of two people who were at the service were talking, not loudly, just having like a mild conversation. And she came up and she took Grant and I's hands and she kept looking over at them. She kept looking over at them, and I'm like, what's the deal? And she, and she goes, I'm about to prophesy, you need to be quiet. 
And immediately Grant and I were like, oh, this is gonna be really interesting, you know? And of course, I didn't really know as much as I know now. I probably would have been like, hey, that's really not how we do things around here. But um, I just didn't know what to expect. And I was kind of like, let's just watch this play out, you know? And they were really young. And so they both were like, okay. So they moved to the back of the room. So she grabs our hands and I'm not gonna shout at you, but she was shouting at us. And it was really quiet. And then she goes, thus says the Lord, like full volume. So everyone in the room now is like, Oh, she's saying something. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, I thought this was like a private prophetic word, not like a public corporate word, you know? And she went on to say this like really interesting word that was speaking to some of the wrestling I'd been going through, but answering it, in my opinion, in the wrong way. So I was really frustrated because I'm sitting there and she's like, and God forbids this and God, and I'm like, like, well, this needs to end, you know, <laughs> like got my eyes closed and I don't know how to get out of this situation because she just like kept going and, um, and then she stopped, like she ended and it was like, in the name of Jesus, or I forget how she ended it. And then she goes, okay, thank you. And like very meekly, like walked out of the room and the whole room, like our whole church. Uh-huh. Were you there? Yeah, it was really special. Like the whole church is like, what just happened? And I think both Grant and I were like, uh, it's cool guys. It's fine. Like, you know, cause we didn't want to embarrass her, but at the same time I'm going, how do you say whoa to whatever that was, you know? And it wasn't like the nations will be impacted. It wasn't something like that, that you wanted everybody to hear. It was more of just like, that was just so weird. Anyways, so culture really matters. Here's why I tell you that story. Because I think in our area, there's a lot of people who look at prophecy like that. Like our only experience with prophecy is someone who stands up and is like, hush everyone, the prophet noweth speaketh, you know? And then they like go into this huge thing and everybody's supposed to be really reverent and everybody is just supposed to sort of blindly accept everything that they say. And I don't think that's really entirely biblical. It's not really anti-biblical, but it's laden with tradition, right? It's filled with sort of like the Pentecostal tradition. Now there's, I'm not saying it's wrong for that, but what I find fascinating is in our area, we have this polar opposite now where we've got this over here. And then we've got people who are so casual about prophecy. Half the time you don't realize they're prophesying right? And everything in between. So if we're going to embrace what it means to be a prophetic community, we have to recognize what the prophetic looks like in our midst right now, and then be consciously aware of how we're engaging with that and purposefully not engaging with that. Does that make sense? I love that story. It cracks me up um, because what I found in myself is I kind of really steer away from that type of a thing. And so it swings me over to the too casual. And I find myself often in conversations with people where I'm speaking to them and I realize I'm prophesying to them, but I'm just playing it off like it's just thoughts, right? And then I'll leave and I'll be like, man, I hope they understood that was the Lord. I'm like, well, how would they know that? Because I didn't actually say, hey, this is not just me spitballing here. And so I'm trying really hard to get better at when we're in conversation, being able to stop and say, hey, listen, this is what the Lord is saying, or this is what I'm hearing God say. So I, I genuinely feel like if we're going to embrace a prophetic community, we're going to embrace acknowledging that it's this Holy Spirit, even though we don't have to get the whole room quiet to do that. Can you imagine what it'd be like if you're at Starbucks with somebody and you're like, excuse me, everyone, close the laptops, the prophet speaketh, you know, everybody would be like, well, that, that was the end of my coffee break. 
Um, so culture truly matters. <laughs> I'm guessing most of you guys have an experience that's similar to that or have like thought about prophecy being this really formal thing. So my goal tonight is not to completely debunk that. It's really just to explore what does it look like in our day and age. Um, all right, prophetic community. So one of my mentors, I forgot the book with me, but it's um, the, my, one of my mentors, Dr. Kim Moss, just wrote this book. It's called Prophetic Community. So if this strikes a nerve with you and you're interested in it, you can grab that book on Amazon. It's blue. It has a little flame on it. Um, and it's a really in-depth look at the Bible at how prophetic communities, which are really churches, are designed to work together. So I want to encourage you to get that if what we're talking about tonight is interesting to you. All right, I want to draw a diagram for you guys because I want to talk about how we actually hear the Lord. And I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but all right. So this right here is the point where we hear God's voice. Okay. So we mentioned last week that the Lord is always speaking, right? He's, he's never silent. He doesn't do anything without talking to somebody about it. He's always got an opinion about what's going on in your life. Sometimes we can't hear it, but this is the plane in which, this is like the frequency of our ears. It's not a block. It's like where we're hearing. So the voice of the Lord comes down. And then what happens is we end up filtering it. That was supposed to be an arrow. We end up filtering it through several different modes. These are different giftings. So like the voice of the Lord, God speaks, and then we end up filtering it through the prophetic, or we end up filtering it through encouragement, or we end up filtering it through discernment, right? Last week, we talked a lot about how all these different giftings are rooted in hearing the voice of the Lord. So what I think is interesting about this is if we recognize God is always speaking, so we open ourselves up. It's kind of like, oh, Lord, you're speaking. I'm going to open myself up to listen to what you're saying. And then he begins to speak, and then it begins to come out of you in one of these different ways. So we, we talked last week a little bit about encouragement, and I wanted to revisit that a little bit and talk about the difference between holy encouragement and a prophetic word. Because though they come from the same place, they are inherently a little bit different, right? So a holy encouragement is hearing God for someone else to encourage them. And it often sounds something like, I see this in you. Or it's very present tense oriented, like God is doing this in you right now. Don't give up, right? You're in the fight, but it's going to work out. Like that type of a thing. It's an encouragement. But when we talk about the prophetic tonight, we're going to talk more specifically about the future telling aspect of the prophetic. So if God is speaking, this is your prophetic ability. Sometimes it comes out in encouragement. Sometimes it comes out in wisdom, right? All these different gifts that involve hearing God. And then sometimes it comes out in the prophetic, which for our purposes tonight, again, is speaking directly to future telling events. So uh, some of you guys know we had Nick Goff here in uh, March, right? And so he is a phenomenal man of God, right? An incredible prophet. So when he's giving a prophetic word, sometimes it's, it's a, an encouragement. It's like, hey, don't quit. You're in the middle of this. And it's really, it's right on. He's reading your mail. He's telling you exactly what you need to hear right now. But there's other times where he's like, this is what's coming for you right? Can you see the difference? And what I think is important for us to, to recognize is that when we are prophesying, if we can catch how we're instructing someone, like what the Lord is saying, then we can encourage them that much more. Because when we're talking about prophecy that has to do with future events, then we're giving someone a word that requires some sort of participation, right? 
So a holy encouragement is like totally free for you. Like, there you go, you know, be blessed. Like it's, it's gonna happen, it's happening. There's like nothing you have to do for it typically. But when the Lord is saying, hey, this is coming, you need to do this, etc., there's typically something that we have to do to partner with that, right? For example, you get a prophetic word that's like, God wants you to have an impact in a certain nation. Well, awesome. You're not going to do that unless you either go to that nation or meet people from that nation or you know what I mean? There's some sort of partnership involved. So if the Lord gives you a future telling word like that, what do we do? We embrace it. We make plans. We uh, like let the Lord do what he's doing in us. Here's another example. If the Lord calls you to be a leader and he's like, hey, I'm calling you, telling you you're going to be a leader. Well, then, then you need to partner with God by working leadership into your life starting now right? Not waiting until he makes it happen for you, but work with him now. Does that make sense? So when we are giving prophetic words and we're giving a future telling type word, I think it's really important for us to recognize there's a little bit more weight on that because essentially we're inviting someone into a process with God. And I think that just needs to be filtered into our minds when we're having those conversations. Because my end goal with this class and just with this concept as a whole is that we up the level of our opportunities and our um, encounters to give prophetic words to people, right? Not just with your friends, but on, at church events, at other events, at small groups, that you know, when you're around other people and you have that opportunity to be like, hey, God is speaking to me. I'm now listening. I'm now like opening my heart to receive. And I want to give you a word from the Lord. And I want to encourage you in that way. Does that make sense? All right. So how does it play out on like a daily basis? So to me, what that looks like is, uh, we'll just talk about church for now. If you are coming to church, then you're coming with an expectation that God's going to speak to you. Right? We talked about it last week that we're all supposed to eagerly desire to prophesy. We all can. We all can hear the Lord. Um, and so we come with an expectation for that. And also that we don't miss those opportunities. I don't know about you, but when you begin to look for this, it's sort of like, at least for me, sometimes it feels like time slows down for like three seconds and I realize God is here. I mean, you know, he's always here, but you know, when you have that moment in a conversation, you're like, oh, something just happened and God is here. And then we have the option to lean into that or be like, move on. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes we're like, this is awkward, move on. Like, not the right place, not the right time, whatever. Even though if God is there doing it, it is the right time. Um, but other times it's like, no, like, like we lean in and then we deliver what God is saying. And then something unlocks in that person and they're built up. They're blessed. They're encouraged. That's what we're looking for, right? To me, that's what a prophetic community is. All right, um, we're going to take a quick break because what I want you guys to do is to talk for a minute about what ways do you see the gift of prophecy working in your life or in your community today? And then I want you to talk about, uh, to turn to the person next to you and talk about what ways do you feel like there still needs to be growth? Okay, so this could be related to our perception as a whole to what prophecy is. It could be related to um, our ability to actually seize those moments, etc. But I want you guys to just take a second before we dive into the scripture for tonight. And you're asking the question, what ways do we see prophecy working today? And then what ways do we need to grow in this? Okay. So I want us to get super specific now. And I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to dive into what a hungry community looks like and the pitfalls of a really hungry community, okay? So I told you guys already, culture matters, right? And so the culture of the city truly matters when the Holy Spirit begins to move, and it really matters when we're looking at what we're reading in the Bible, 
right? And so we want to know what was happening in this church, in this community, externally, culturally, so that it makes sense what the writer was speaking into. There's a lot of metaphor in 1 Corinthians. There's like even some of the stuff about your head covering. Like a lot of that actually was metaphorical, speaking to very cultural customs of the day. Like they didn't really wear wedding rings. That wasn't a thing at that time. But the way you denoted whether you were married as a woman was you wore a head covering. So that was like out in public. That's how, that was your wedding ring, right? So when it starts to speak to a woman without a head covering, they're talking about a woman who feels indifferent about being married. It really doesn't care whether you, you know, acknowledge her as being married. And then of course that's disrespectful to her husband, right? So there's a lot of metaphor in that. But the church in Corinthians, like the, the town of Corinth at that time was four times bigger than Athens, which is like the capital of Greece or like one of our, yeah, the most known cities. So it was a huge city. It was a trade city. So they had like ports. There was a lot of like people would bring goods there and then they would export them out, right? So it was because of that, a cultural melting pot. There were lots of different um, religions, lots of different cultures, lots of different types of people happening all within that city. It was an incredibly immoral city as well. There was a lot of sexual immorality. Prostitution was a big deal. In fact, one of the things I think is interesting is historically, uh, in that time period, if you were a prostitute, you typically shaved your head. And if you were a slave, they would shave your head. And if you were an adulteress, your head would be shaved <laughs> to like mark you as someone who had done something really wrong. It's a very, like, in that time of the world was such a, we had so many shame cultures, right? Where it was sort of like, oh, we're so mad at you for doing this and we're going to publicly shame you, which I've been thinking, this is a total tangent, but I've been thinking about how our culture is becoming a shame culture again with social media, right? When somebody does something wrong and it's like, ah, and all the trolls come out at them and we're like back 2,000 years ago, we're doing it all over again just with a keyboard instead of a razor. Um, but these, the, so it was like easy to denote uh, women who were prostitutes because they were shaved. Didn't mean every woman that had no hair was a prostitute, but that was a very real thing. I find it really interesting, another side note, but we're not going to cover these verses tonight. But if you're reading through this and studying it, you might be interested to know. One of the reasons why uh, the women are instructed to be silent, specifically when they don't have head coverings, speaks to if you don't have hair and hairless people are prostitutes, then you just came out of that, right? There's a very short amount of time that went down because you still don't have hair. So when we're speaking about people who are getting up in church to instruct the body, well, you really don't want someone getting up in a leadership capacity that's brand new in their faith, right? That just doesn't make sense. So it's really interesting when we look at the cultural context, what was being talked about. So again, Corinth was a big city. It was a, a trade city. It was a melting pot of cultures. And then the church in Corinth was a very, very hungry Hungry people. How do we know this? Because Paul speaks to their hunger. He speaks to their desire to have manifestations of the spirit at work in them, to have encounters with the spirit. He speaks to that. And what I love about this is that Paul doesn't tell them to simmer down. He just tells them to be a little bit more thoughtful right? I think that's so important. Like he's like, this is what we need to imagine in the Corinthian church. They're in their church service. Everybody's showing up and everybody is doing whatever feels right to them. So you've got one person over here, like shava, 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 you know, just like screaming in tongues, being really loud. Like just about, how do I know this? Because first Corinthians makes a point in, in chapter 13. If you're just going on and on, you're like a clanging symbol if you don't have love, right? So if you look at this objectively, you can actually see Paul was coming in and speaking into their culture. I'll get back to this in a second. What I love about Paul is that he was a builder. 
right? He was like, if we're going to say Paul was a prophet, we would say Paul was a builder prophet. So he didn't just walk into these different cities and say, hey, this is what God is saying. He walked in and was like, this is what God is saying, but here's your issue. <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter if you, like, what, this over here, unless you figure this out. And I love that because we read Romans and he's like, hey man, this is what you need to know. And we read Corinthians and he's like, this is what you need to know. And it goes on and on through all of his books. And I think what's phenomenal about that is that his, his um, anointing was as such a father that he was willing to get into the dirt of what was going on in people's lives to speak into that. That's what's happening in 1 Corinthians, right? That's what's happening. He's walking in and he's like, whoa, <laughs> this is one giant free for all and I can't leave you like this. And he's recognizing, this is my interpretation, but I feel like this is there if you look objectively over the whole of the, of the book. But I feel like what he's saying is, you guys are so passionate, you're so hungry, that you're willing to run over everyone for the sake of your own needs being met. And he's making the distinction, what you do in private is not the same as what we do publicly right? When he talks about speaking in tongues, which we'll look at in a second, he's going on and on about how amazing it is to speak in tongues. And, but then he makes this statement towards the end of chapter 14, where he says, I would rather speak five understandable words of instruction to the body than 10,000 words in tongues. That's a pretty intense thing. What's he saying? He's saying when we are together corporately, it's a different expression than when we are alone, right? What I, this is just another tangent, but what I would love to see is churches filled with people whose real fire of their faith actually was in their time with God outside of the corporate expression. How amazing would that be? In America, we've like flipped it, right? We look at our expression of faith as what happens in this room, and then whatever happens outside is kind of like the lesser thing. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's actually saying, hey, your fire should be fueled in your personal time with God. And then you come together and we light it up. But we light it up in an orderly fashion that makes sense for everybody to be built up. Right? Okay, so let's look at what this looks like. Again, so you've got, you've got uh, somebody over here speaking in tongues really loudly. You've got somebody over here just randomly prophesying. God is saying da 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 while this person's like babbling in tongues. You've got this person dancing. You've got this person worshiping and singing songs, right? And they're all doing it at the same time, at the same time. And Paul's like, wait a second, this is ridiculous. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14 if you want to follow along on your Bible app. <clears throat> I'm not going to read every verse of the chapter, but I do want to call a couple of things to attention. Um, I'm going to be looking at the Amplified Version, just so you know. Okay, so chapter 13 is the love chapter, right? You guys are all super familiar. He's going on and on about love and how important it is. Remember, when we change from one chapter to the next, it's not another day. It's not like one tweet and then the next day he had another thought and he sent out something else. It's one continuous uber long blog. So he goes like this, pursue this love, the love from 1 Corinthians 13, pursue this love with eagerness, make it your goal, yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church, but especially that you may prophesy, which the Amplified defines as to foretell the future, to speak a new message from God to the people. What's he saying? Pursue love, do that, but also cultivate and get excited about what is going on with, uh, with the Holy Spirit and especially to prophesy. 
Verse two, for one who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people, but to God. For no one understands him or catches his meaning, but by the spirit he speaks mysteries. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification to promote their spiritual growth and speaks words of encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God and speaks words of consolation to compassionately comfort them. So here we've got three expressions of the prophetic in this one verse, right? The prophetic comforts, the prophetic gives wisdom, the prophetic builds and and promotes spiritual growth. Sounds exciting, yeah? So he goes back and forth to talk about tongues and prophecy because these are two of the gifts that everybody gets to use. They're like universal, they're open to all people. And I think that's part of why he uses these two in comparison. He says in verse five, now I wish that all of you spoke in unknown tongues, but even more, I wish that you would prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater and more useful than the one who speaks in tongues unless he translates or explains what he says so that the church may be edified, instructed, improved, and strengthened. Are you catching the theme here, right? Prophecy is not just good. It's actually vital for the life of the believers, right? We actually need to have the prophetic working in our midst. He goes on in verse six. Now, believers, if I come to you speaking in unknown tongues, let's see, let's keep going on a little bit. Um, let's go to verse uh, 12. It says, so it is with you. Since you are so very eager to have spiritual gifts and manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in ways that will build up the church spiritually. Here's in this one verse how we know what was going on in their culture. They were experiencing the fire of God right? They were hungry. He's not trying to wake them up to go pursue spiritual things. He's telling them, so it is with you since you're so eager to have spiritual gifts and manifestations of the spirit. These are people who are going deep in God. What he's telling them is do that. But what you should really be striving for is to excel in the gifts that actually build everybody else up, not just you. Wait a second. That's pretty profound if you think about it, right? Because it's no longer just about you stoking the fire for your own life. It's about you stoking the fire for yourself, but also how you can be a part of being a blessing to the body. Verse 13, therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may be gifted to translate it. Uh, Let's see, we're going to not cover tongues tonight. So let's keep going down. Um, All right, here we go. Verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in unknown tongues more than all of you, but I mentioned this earlier. But nevertheless, in public worship, I would rather say five understandable words in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue which others cannot understand. And he goes on to say, verse 20, brothers and sisters, do not be like children. Don't be immature or childlike in your thinking. Be infants in matters of evil, but in your minds, be mature adults. Why is this important? What is he saying? Think logically right? Think about how you're affecting other people. Think about what's going on in the, in the room when you're there, right? Don't just close your eyes and be like, it's only me, <laughs> you know? I think this is really interesting if you start to think about how often, going back to our pursuit of Jesus outside of church, how often do we feel like we can encounter the presence of God faster with a live band than we can by ourselves with no band? Is it the same God? Yeah, of course, right? But a lot of it has to do with what we've trained ourselves to get used to, how we've trained ourselves to think about God. And what he's saying here is be mature in how you pursue this. Recognize there's so much more going on so that you don't come 
so desperate to the corporate gathering that you're willing to just bypass everybody else in the room, right? All right, one more thing I want to note about this too is what I think is when Grant and I started this journey of the church, we were like, all right, Lord, we felt like the Lord told us to make a place where the Holy Spirit was available to all people. So whether you've never encountered the Holy Spirit or you're like, so you're in too deep, you can't come back now, and everything in between. And Grant always talks about he had this encounter with the Lord where he was like, I'm going to do CrossFit. This was like, I don't know, five or six years ago. And we had a friend who owned a CrossFit gym, okay? So he was like, I'm going to go to this gym to support him, and I'm, I'm in, like I'm done. He said, I go to the website to sign up, and I'm like so taken aback. It was like, you're going to be ripped, you're going to lift tires, you're going to like whatever. And it was so intense to him that he was like, I'm not doing it. Like I literally came to the website to sign up and now I'm not signing up. And he said in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he said, this is how people feel about charismatic churches. It's like when they get there, they're like, what is happening, right? And they're so taken aback that they're just like, I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm fine. And they miss out on this dynamic relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying every church needs this model. I'm just telling you what we felt like the Lord had given to us. And what I love about what Paul is saying is he's speaking to that, right? Don't quench the fire that's inside of you. Don't, don't say it's too much for what's happening in the room. Just have a brain. So in our journey over the last several years, we've had a really hard time trying to figure out what's the line of giving people freedom, but also recognizing a whole lot of freedom drives most people away. And we've had a couple of experiences over the years where we've had some real hard conversations between the two of us of like, how are we going to handle this, you know? And we had a pastor who um, we consulted who was like, tell us what to do. You know, you've been, you've been experiencing this for like 20 years. We've been experiencing this for like 20 minutes, you know? And he said, he started talking about how what happens in the corporate gathering, I'm not going to get all the way into it, but essentially what he's saying is what's in this chapter, right? That it's that one person who's experiencing God on their own, that's good and we want that to happen, but they have to come in line with what God is doing corporately in the room, right? And that's what Paul is saying, man, if you are lit on fire, amazing, but make sure you're burning with the same fire that everybody else is burning when you show up to church. And then you can walk out that door and you can be the reddest flame you know, of your life. But if it's yellow in the room, let's be yellow together. Does that make sense? And I, I, and I say that because I've had such a hard time embracing that because the last thing I ever want to do is make someone or feel like they can't be as free as they want to be with the Lord. But what we're looking at here is Paul saying, you're forgetting what's going on. It's not just about you, right? And maturity looks like coming to the place where we are so on fire for the Lord that we can temper our level of burning for what's in the room so we can support and build up everybody. And I think there's a ton of wisdom in that. Um, all right, so... Let's jump down. I want to finish talking about this. Verse 24, he says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider comes, he's talking about tongues. Okay, let's go back one. So then, if the whole church gathers together and all of you speak in tongues, and outsiders or those who are not gifted in spiritual matters or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? And they will right? If everybody is speaking in tongues, they're going to be like, what is going on? And then he says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider comes in, he's convicted of his sins by all and he's called to account by all because he can understand what's being said. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are laid bare and so falling on his face, he will worship God declaring that God is really among you. Where I feel like the Lord is saying about this verse in particular is that when we come into a place where we are prophesying what God is doing, it creates an atmosphere in the room that's really significant and different 
than if we're all praying in tongues, right? And there's, there's benefit to that when we're all praying in tongues. Like if you come on a Sunday morning to our pre-service prayer, we will all be praying in tongues. That's like what we do, right? That's part of how we set the atmosphere. But there's something entirely different in our pre-service prayer when we all start to prophesy what God is saying and you can get a sense for, oh my gosh, we're all hearing the same thing? This is crazy. And something shifts in the room. And I think that's what he's pointing to, right? There's a different thing of God that comes out with these different giftings. And we need to not neglect what's so profound about the prophetic at work. Um, All right, then he goes on to say, what then is the right course, believers? When you meet together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. Let everything be constructive and edifying and be done for the good of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be limited to two or three. And then he goes on and he gives some specific instructions about order. And he ends up even saying, uh, I love this verse. He talks about the prophet who's prophesying. He says, for the spirits, in verse 32, For the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The prophecy is under the speaker's control and he can stop speaking. So let's go back to that story I told you guys at the beginning, right? At that point in my journey, I was not sure if the person could stop speaking or not. I didn't understand the prophetic like that enough to realize that some people are so convinced they can't stop speaking, right? They're so convinced that they're prophesying and you better not interrupt me because like, you know, the, the heavens will open and we'll all be smited, right? It's like they're so convinced of that that they won't even give you the option to shut them up. But what is he saying here? Clear as day. There ain't no prophet on the face of the earth that is not under control of what's coming out of them. And so they can. Do they need to every time? Of course not, but they can. And I think this is really significant because when we're talking about seeing revival break out in our churches, then you're going to be looking at this verse, right? You're going to be looking at this context where everybody is lit up, where everybody is experiencing stuff, where everybody's showing up ready to go super deep. And in that place, and in all of them, but in that place, the order of importance is so important. That 1 Corinthians 14 chapter, that's what it's really about. It's Paul like really going into, here's what's important. Yes, you having experience is super important, but you coming into what God is doing as a whole builds everybody up. Does that make sense? All right, one more verse. Uh, Let's go down to the end. So verse 39, he says, Therefore, believers, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in unknown tongues, but all things must be done appropriately and in an orderly manner. So again, I feel, I feel like tonight as we're talking about what it looks like to birth prophetic community, one of the things that we see in this chapter so clearly is it looks like mutual submission to the authority of God right? And Paul goes in to talk about the submission of a husband and a wife. And when he talks about men and women, he's actually really speaking to married couples. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he actually talks about women prophesying. So he's not forbidding women to prophesy. Like four chapters earlier, he's talking about women prophesying in the church. He's just giving specific instructions. He's trying to help people understand when we come under the authority of God, the real power is there right? The real power that we really are looking for is in that place where we're aligned with each other. I think I forgot to, uh, I forgot one verse I want us to look at that the Lord is just reminding me, and it's so interesting. Okay, verse 29. All right, thank you. It says, so let, so let two or three prophets speak as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Catch this. While the rest pay attention and weigh carefully what is said. Okay, let's go back to my story, right? We cannot allow ourselves to embrace a prophetic community that looks like nobody has permission to weigh whether that was from the Lord or not. 
Because like we talked about last week at length, nobody gets it right 100% of the time. So what would it look like in today's church, like in an American setting, for somebody to get up and give a prophetic word and everybody in the room be like, time out, let's take a vote. Who feels like that was from the Lord? (laughs) I don't think we're secure enough as humans to handle something like that, right? It goes on to say like, you know, some of the verses about the men and women, they're saying the women don't talk while everybody else is weighing the prophecy. And, And some of the interpretations of that look at the women like actually disagreeing with their husbands while everybody is weighing the prophecy, which I'm sure we could all imagine a scenario like that happening at different times. We're like, you think it says that? Oh no, it's not, you know? And all of a sudden Paul's like, let's just not even go there. You know, let's just have you not speak until later. And I think what's crazy is what would it look like in today's world for somebody to give a prophetic word with the expectation it's going to be weighed, right? With the expectation that you might completely disagree and then I have to go back if I'm giving the prophetic word and recognize, yeah, no, I missed it, guys. Yeah, I was way off. Last year, I was spending time with the Lord. I was having a conversation with God. It was the beginning of September. And um, I was telling the Lord, because, you know, we're a small church. We've been a small church for a long time. I was telling the Lord, if we could just get to this certain number threshold, there's so much more we could do. Like, we'd have the volunteers to do some different things to really impact our city. And I said, Lord, I would like to pray for that, but I've been around the block a few times. So I want to know, is it okay for me to pray for that, right? Because I don't want to waste my time if you're doing something else and that's not what you want to do. And he said, uh, yeah, he said, yeah, if you're bored, you can pray for that. That's how he responded. And I was like, okay, uh, this just got real, right? And, and what he said to me was, um, he said, you know, this is going to happen. But if you're, if you're antsy, yeah, you can pray for it. I said, okay. Uh, and he said, but if you're going to pray for it, I want you to pray for, uh, what did he say? I think I said to him, can I pray for 20 family units? I think that's what I said. And he said, why not, why not 25 or 30? And th- I'm just being completely honest. I said to the Lord, I'm not sure I believe you could do that. Now, I know he can, right? It's not about that. Like, I know he can, but I'm talking about uber practical, like what has been the track record of my life, right? So it wasn't like, I'm no, I don't believe you're powerful enough. It was more of like a very honest, practical conversation. I said, well, maybe I should word it like, I don't believe you would do that, you know? And, uh, and he goes, well, let's do 25. Why don't you pray for 25 family units by December? And I was like, oh, okay because this was September, okay? And I'm like, well, this conversation was really awkward. So I called a friend of mine who's one of my spiritual moms, and I just said, can I read you this page in my journal? Because I'm not even sure if this was God, so I need somebody else to go, does this sound like the Lord? And I read her this conversation, and she is incredibly prophetic. She hears God very shockingly accurately. And she said to me, um, Yes, I think this is from the Lord. And she said, and I feel like the Lord is saying you need to stand up in front of your church on Sunday and make this a prophetic declaration. And when she said that, I immediately started sweating. It was like, like sweat came out of my face and my heart started racing. And I just knew that that was God. Like it was like this sheer panic, like anything but that Lord kind of feeling. But I just knew, oh my gosh, that tapped on something in me and I probably need to do this. Some of you guys were there. So I go up in front of the church and the next Sunday and I go, listen, guys. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm praying with everything inside of me. It doesn't just break right underneath me because that's kind of what I feel like is about to happen. You can catch it on the podcast. It's from last year. And I said, I'm just not really sure what's going to happen, but I'm just going to be obedient to what I feel like the Lord has told me to say. And so we released this, I released this declaration, this prophetic declaration. And what I find interesting is though we didn't hit that number by December, at this point, we've actually doubled the size of the church, which is interesting in its own right. And since that time, we've actually had a hundred families 
family units come through and visit the church, and a number of them have stayed for different lengths of time, and God has done what he wanted to do in them. A hundred. So I was going for 25. So we well exceeded what we were going for. Obviously, they weren't all added to the church, which is fine. The reason why I say that is because there was something inside of me at that moment where I felt like, even if I fail in this, I'm willing for this to be a great example of giving a prophetic word that turns out to be wrong. (laughs) right? I want us as a community to be the kind of community who goes where we would rather fall believing in faith, right? And mess up and be wrong, than hug the tree, hug the trunk of the tree and never actually see God do anything. And what was in my heart and what's still in my heart is what does it look like for us to be secure enough in who we are in God that we're willing to get it wrong, that we're willing to take a prophetic word and give it to somebody and say, hey, do you feel like this is accurate? And if they say no, that you don't crumble into like a million pieces on the back end of that, right? To me, that's what we are not just called to do, but instructed to do. So although I'm not necessarily saying every Sunday you have permission to be like, time out, don't feel like that was from the Lord. What I am saying is you for sure have permission to come and tell me, right? You have permission to tell someone else who's giving you a prophetic word, you know what? I don't feel like this lines up with, with the word. What I think Paul is alluding to in this verse is when we feel the freedom to do that, we actually open ourselves up to so much more faith because it no longer feels risky, right? It doesn't feel like I have no say. (laughs) Now it feels like, yeah, shoot me with your best prophetic word. I'm armed with the word, with all this context, with whatever, and I'm armed with the ability to say, nope, that was not from God. And we all move on and we love each other. Does that make sense? I wanted to say that because I feel like if we're, if we're wanting to build a truly prophetic community, then we got to get comfortable enough to be secure in who we are so that if we miss it, we're like, we miss it. It's like I told you guys last week, Ashley and I are always like, this feels bad. Oh, that's, that's what a wrong word feels like. Okay, this feels bad, right? Or, oh, I nailed it. Amen. This feels good. We were at a worship night in March and this guy was there who I'd never met before. And I kept looking at him and I kept seeing the name Abe over him. And I thought he was like a... Uh, not an Abe kind of person. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I was trying to figure out if I was just going to flat out be like, are you Abe? Or, you know, how I was going to do that. And I went up to him and I said, um, hey, does the name, uh, I said, what's your name? And he goes, it's John or something like that. And I was like, oh, great. You know, <laughs> praise God. Because I had a prophetic word related to the name Abe. So I was like, cool. I said, does the name Abe mean anything to you? He goes, no. I was like, okay. And then he stopped for a second. He goes, well, my middle name is Abraham. I was like, maybe that's, maybe that's it. Yeah, I think, so I gave him this prophetic word related to it and he, he received it and he felt like it was, it was like on par for him or whatever. But I thought to myself, in this place here, what we're building in this community, at least for me, I feel so much freedom to step out in faith, not wondering what's gonna happen on the back end, right? And if his name was Abe, was, if his name wasn't Abe at all, it's fine. We pick ourselves up, we're like, oh, missed it, right? His name was Abraham. So I was like, this feels good. This is what it feels like when you get it right. Remember this. And I want us to be a community where everybody gets to experience that, where everybody gets to be as free in themselves, in their identity, in their position as a son and daughter of God to pursue that. All right. We're going to take a few minute break, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, your neighbor, this question. What do you feel like in yourself you need to change or grow in, might be a better way to say it, to embrace a more 1 Corinthians 14 culture for yourself. Does that make sense? 
So what, in, in all this chapter that we're looking at, what strikes you as something that you feel like needs to be grown in you, adapted in you, let go in you, or whichever way you want to answer that question? So you got two minutes. Okay, I got one more thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to do some activation stuff. So get ready. Everybody's so excited. Um, I want to give you guys five steps to getting a prophetic word. I could not make this any more simple, okay? So if you need to take a picture of my fantastic handwriting when this is done, you can do that. Or take notes or jot it down. But I want to give you guys just the basic five steps to, to, to getting a prophetic word. We did cover some of this last week, um, so if it feels redundant. But the first one is sort of like an overarching step for the whole process, which is to hone your ability to hear God's voice. Just to do the things that you need to do. Reading the word, spend time listening, practicing, all that kind of stuff. So this is sort of an overarching um, one. But hone your ability to hear God. Okay, the second step. This is like rocket science. Are you ready? Listen and receive. Okay? Listen and receive. So you want to give a prophetic word to somebody? All you need to do to start with is listen and receive from the Lord. Again, when you're getting a prophetic word, it comes like a thought, a picture, a mini movie, uh, an impression, a gut feeling, or, you know, it, it comes in so many different ways. So um, one th I've heard this forever, and I don't even think this is biblical, but it's an interesting tool, so there you go. But um, they talk about, when I was learning this stuff years ago, they would talk about praying this prayer that we bind up the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And the idea in this is that we're just looking to only hear from the Lord himself. But what's interesting is when you clear out the distraction, which is really what that prayer does. When you clear out the distraction, and for me, I just picture like completely blank in my mind, then the first thing that pops in is often from God, even though it doesn't make sense, right? It's like it comes just like that, and sometimes our brain starts to go, what is this? And we'll end up flushing something out if we're not actively listening and receiving what he wants to say. So step two, listen and receive. Step three is filter, filter, filter. So we talked about this last week, but we're checking the prophetic word that we're receiving against the Bible. Like, does this sound like God? Does this line up with his character? We're checking it against um, our, uh, the context of the word, right? Like, like, I can't tell you how many times when we were doing youth and college ministry that people would say, uh, I got a prophetic word that I'm going to marry someone, but he was dating someone else, Right. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. And one person was like, I had this dream, and I know it was from the Lord that I was married. And this, this guy ended up marrying the person he was dating and had been dating for like a year at this point. And there was a lot of like disappointment in that because they were like, I really feel like this was from God. And I'm like, yeah. So when we filter the word, we take the context into play, right? So we filter, filter, filter. Uh, number four, we give the word, okay? Told you guys, rocket science. We give the word to the person, typically. I guess you could give it to yourself, but. Uh. So you're going to give the word. What I think is important to note about this is if you feel a little bit unsure, just own that. Right? There's nothing wrong. We're talking about growing in our prophetic ability. So there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I don't know if this applies to you at all. Some of my buffer statements I love to use is, I could be completely wrong, but. You guys have probably heard me say that before. Often when I say that, I'm pretty sure I'm right, just so you know. But I say that because I want the other person who's receiving the word to have the opportunity to be like, oh, yeah, no, that's not me at all. 
You know what I mean? To me, I feel like that's a way we can respect. You don't have to do that, but that's just to me, I feel like a way I can respect people is by giving them an opportunity to weigh it without feeling awkward about it, right? So you can use my buffers. You can say, listen, take this with a grain of salt. That's another one of my good ones. Um, you can say something like, you know, I could be completely wrong, or this is what I feel like God is saying. It's a completely different phrase than this is what God is saying, right? So you're leaving the door cracked just a little bit for the reality that you're human and you're on your journey. And then step five, perhaps the best step of them all, repeat. Repeat the process. So we're continually honing our ability to hear God's voice. Then we are receiving the word, right? We're asking the Lord, speak to us. We're checking it. This doesn't have to be like a long process. We're checking the word, and then we're giving it, and then we don't stop there. We're going to continue to do that, right? So snap your pick if you need to. Here's what I think is, is like uber simple about this is that it doesn't have to be complicated. For some of you, you're called to a different measure of this gifting or a different assignment with this gifting, and this list is way too simple for what goes on in your process when you hear from the Lord. But at the base level, this is what you need. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a blind activation, okay? And um, people love and hate this exercise. And I really don't care if you love or hate it because um, we're going to do it. So uh, since I know all of you, we can, we can do this. Trust me, guys. We can do this. Here's how it's going to work. Half the room is going to go line up against the wall and just touch the back of the wall, okay? And then you're going to close your eyes. Keep them closed. If you're a peeker, put your hand over them, okay? And then you're just going to stand there. And when everybody's against the wall, the rest of us will come tap you on the shoulder. You're going to keep your eyes closed and you're going to give them a prophetic word. Why is this a helpful thing to do? Because you can't take any context clues from the person, right? And if you know them, then you don't know who you're prophesying over. So it's not like you can say, well, I know this is going on in your life. Here's a word for you, right? You guys so excited. Uh, I know you're not. Everybody's like, panic, panic. I'm weighing this word. It doesn't feel like God. Um, <laughs> right, this feels bad, yeah. But we're going to do it, and then we're going to switch so everybody gets a chance to be the blind prophetic person. Um, so, listen, there's no pressure, right? Everybody knows you have the permission.